Good morning to all of you and greetings in Jesus' name. Turn to Acts chapter 12 for the message today. Have some homework for you to think about. You're writing a book this week, right? And the title of the book is called A Good Life. What would you put in that book? Would it be a thick book of all that you've experienced in life? Answers to prayer and and, um, just the good things of life. You need to think about what makes a good life. Is it um, drinking something or eating something and being healthy and now you've got a good life? Is it more money flowing in than flowing out? That makes a good life. Or retirement. I look at these people who have nothing that they have to do and think, wow, that would have to be a good life, wouldn't it? Do we focus on experiences when we, when we write in our book about what makes a good life? <clears throat> to help others understand, our conclusion of a good life requires these experiences. A good life. Could you, could you write a book about what makes a good life? You say, no, I probably couldn't. How are you going to testify to people of Jesus Christ and the joy He brings in your life if you can't describe it in a book? What makes a good life? How will we effectively tell others that God has been good to us? It's easy to say, God is good all the time. Explain that. Well, yeah, I had more money coming in and going out. God is good. Isn't there something deeper in life than just the experience? A lot of times we focus too intently on a person's experiences. This is a question, and we're going to try to tackle a scripture passage that, for me, I've struggled for years to understand as I try to weigh it with other scriptures, I, I hope I found the balance here. We want to look at this together. And this is the question we're going to try to answer. What happens when you see the goodness of God extended to others? Extended more to others than yourself. What happens? Does your focus become blurry of, of God? And ask, what's going on? In the last couple of months, there's been two ladies who've come to the store and requested prayer for healing of their cancer. Um, a few weeks ago, the one lady came in, and she was all smiles. And um, she said, I just came from surgery and they got it all. I'm healed. And she was excited. Praise God for answered prayer. The second one I asked last week, how's it going? She said, as she looked down, the cancer is totally invasive. Very limited time. So now, how, how should she look? She looks out across and, and she sees people saying, God's good. I'm healed. 
And she considers, yeah, you are, but I'm not. You don't have any children at home. I got a bunch of children at home. I need help. Does, does our vision get foggy when we see God blessing someone else more than ourselves? You say, how can this be? Isn't, isn't there equality? Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with a sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four Quarantinians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing to the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. And raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angels, but thought he saw a vision. Now this is a good life. This is faith. This is miracles. This is power. This is deliverance of God. Even at the last minute when there's no hope. This is a good life. Is this what a life of faith looks like? If you have enough faith, this is going to happen. You can enjoy the good life, you just need enough faith. Well, you know in your mind, this same account just about repeated. If you look in Matthew chapter 14, there's a man named John the Baptist sitting in the same prison under the same king, King Herod. And it says, Herod sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Same prison, same king. It's great when you're in Peter's shoes, but what what if you're in John's shoes? That's not fair. God, why are you good to Henry, and I'm not getting any blessing? I'm. Are we self-centered enough that when this happens in your life, and it will? That your vision of God gets blurry? If He reaches out to others in compassion, and we have to deal with our struggle. Well, this doesn't happen very often, surely, does it? Doesn't want God, doesn't God want equality? Shouldn't we be able to demand inequality? Just flip two chapters later, Acts 14 and verse 19. And there came 
thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Great to have the faith of Paul. But if you'd rewind seven chapters to Acts chapter 7, you know the story of Stephen. Same zealous Jews, different rocks, but the same idea. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And then he died. One gave his life, and one is absolutely amazing. It says, he got up, walked in the city, and left the next day to go to another city. After he'd been stoned, and he, he was stoned in the city, he wasn't stoned out of the city, then they just left and thought, oh, I think we got him, but no, he was stoned in the city. They drug him out of the city, and they think, well, he's dead. Obviously, if you're dragging somebody around and he's got life in him, you're probably going to think, I think he's got a little bit left. Let's finish him off. But they're dragging him out of the city and they leave him for dead after they drag him. And he gets up. There's no stretcher. There's no ibuprofen. There's no coating, coated Tylenol. He gets up. No IVs. Nothing. And walks into the city. And he doesn't lay down in bed and people come and pamper him. And he leaves the next day. Now that's faith. That's a good life. Did Paul have more faith than Stephen? Hebrews 11 tells us a list of people who conquered Gideon, Moses. It gives us a really long list that gets us all excited. And then it goes at the end of the chapter and it says, and some didn't receive deliverance. And some were eaten by lions. Some were sawn in half. But you know what it says? These all died in faith. See, their call was to follow Jesus all the way home. And some received deliverance, and some didn't receive deliverance in this life. But they had the faith to see through their difficulties. And rather than demand God, God, why do you allow Him to get up and walk? And i got to give my life here. Rather than focusing on an experience, they were focused on who they were following. They're called to follow Jesus in their life's experiences. Turn to John chapter 21. We've got two more passages to turn to. John chapter 21 being one of them. Does our view of God become twisted if experiencing things like John comes to us or comes to our children? And if things like Peter being delivered happens to Claire and Andy and 
It's like whatever they do, it it just always works. Others see God's goodness and we experience raw life. What would you write in your book, The Good Life? Got a happy home? Got a good car? You want to write about the experiences? Or is a good life someone who's able to follow Jesus Christ through church upheaval, family upheaval, world upheaval, community upheaval? They got their eyes on Jesus because he said, follow me. Here he says in John chapter 21, we know the the situation here. Jesus came to Peter and he questioned his sincerity. Now, how many of you would enjoy that? Peter, are you sure? I doubt you, Peter. Don't question my sincerity. You can question my ability to comb my hair properly and a lot of other things, but don't question my sincerity. But Jesus did. Would that make you angry? We're going to verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter, after he questioned his sincerity, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest not. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is it that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will that that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. This is an incredible passage. I believe every follower of Jesus Christ has to grab a hold of this. Or you'll be really bitter against what experiences you have to face in life. Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands and they're going to do things to you that you have no control over. You're going to experience a very difficult death. Lord, if i got to do that, then what about him? And what, that, what does that have to do with you? If I have to be poor, if my business has to be tough, why does he have to have it so easy? Why does he have to have so much money? Why does everything... What's that to you? Follow me. There's a few observations that I'd like to make. Number one is the focusing on our journey leads to frustration. Focusing on our journey leads to frustration. You ever ask the question, why do I have to put up with? Fill in the blank. Why do I have to put up with? And Jesus says, follow me. 
if you're so focused on your experiencing, your experiences thinking, I want a good life. You're missing number one. Follow me. But why is my journey so confusingly difficult? I need more answers to prayer so I can experience a normal life. Some face cruel mockings, scourgings. Some were sawn in two, and it says, of whom the world was not worthy of, in Hebrews 11. Now, why is that? Because their focus was on their king. How could they go through that in faith? Their focus was on their king who said, follow me. Right in the circumstances you're in, follow me. And it wasn't on the experience that was happening to them. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. If someone was focused on Jesus to the point of, Lord, you lead, I'll follow. I'm walking with you in my journey that is called life. Then it doesn't matter. We're, or we're not demanding a fair and easy lifestyle. We're not demanding for the reason of carrying a burden. We're not demanding an easy way out. We're just saying, Lord, I'm keeping my eyes on you. And, and this is how I follow you. You'll be presented 10 million options other than this. And Jesus says, you've got to look past that. And look at me and follow me. It's easy to become cynical when we're comparing our journey with people who lack biblical convictions. I think it's important to grab a hold of that. It's easy to become cynical when we compare our life with people who lack biblical convictions. Look at the blessings they experience. Look at all the freedom they can have. And they say they serve Jesus. I don't think they serve Jesus. Let's make a strong statement, right? Let's try to knock them out because unless they're suffering or unless they're disciplined as much as I'm disciplined, I don't think it's fair. What's that to you? But somehow we get caught up in comparing my journey of discipline and godliness to someone who doesn't live with godly convictions like we feel like they should. And we say that's not fair. Jesus, why can you call them a child of yours when they're not as disciplined as I am? I'm not living a good life like they are. What is a good life? Matthew 19. Um, We're going to start at verse 28. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me... Sorry, let me start at verse 27. We better get the right train of thought of what they're thinking. Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, 
Ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But look what he says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What's that mean? Let's keep reading. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning and to hire laborers into his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. Whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of that vineyard... Let's stop reading with verse 7. And try and catch what's going on before we lose the unfairness of it all. The experience of the first group. Now, their work day was from 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. Hopefully you're, you're good with that. It, it wasn't a four-hour four work day. Hopefully we're all on the same page here. They, they had to plug away. They had to earn their living. So they're standing idle in the marketplace. or They're getting there at 6 o'clock and they're lining up and they're hoping somebody would call them. Can you imagine the feeling of the first group? Thank God He has provided work for me today. That's their testimony. Thank God for this householder. He has called me to work. What do you think the experience is of the second group? Would you please testify to us, group that came out at 9 o'clock rather than 6 a.m. I was in desperate need. Praise God He has provided me work today. I am so thankful. You know, to start work at 9 a.m., probably the last call for today. Not many people are going to call after 9 a.m. to say, can you still come to work today? So I probably got in at the last call. I'm very thankful. Um, people in the third and fourth group, what's your testimony today? Well, he got me at 12, and the other guy says, he, and he called me at 3 o'clock. We had little to no chance of supplying our needs today. We were facing an impossible situation. This is not just something to be thankful for, this is an answer to prayer. And the owners even said when I went in the field, I will make it worth your while. I will pay you the day's wages. This is, this is a miracle of compassion. This is an answer to prayer. Group number five that was hired at five o'clock and quit at six o'clock. Do you have something to say? We passed impossibility three times over. We had no hope at all for today. Zero. 
The only reason we stayed is if by chance some good householder would reach out out of complete compassion and charity. Because we got past the impossibility mark three times over. There's nothing much we can do in an hour's time to really assist. This is an answer to prayer. Because nobody, I, I don't care how hard of worker you are or how big of muscles you are, you're not going to do the work in one hour what people did when they started at 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You're hired out of complete compassion and mercy. Now it's paycheck time. Verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire. Now listen to what he says. Beginning from the last unto the first. The last ones get paid first. The one who did the least amount of work, pay them first. Well, you're setting yourself up. To teach a lesson. Verse 9, And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, the people that worked twelve hours, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and now hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Now listen carefully. Is thine eye evil because I am good? Is your, have you completely... I being evil means my, my eyes don't work. It, they, they're fuzzy. They can't focus. Is, are you completely losing focus because I am good to someone? Then it says in verse 16, it repeats what it did in the last chapter at the end. So the last shall be first and the first last. Then it says a very incredible statement, for many be called but few chosen. They murmured against the good men of the house. Well, what happened to you being thankful for work? Hey, what happened at at 7 a.m. when you were saying, praise the Lord, I got work. I got work today. This is good. Life is good. What happened to your thankfulness? Well, it isn't fair. A group that was hired at 9 and 12 o'clock, what happened to your saying, this is an answer to prayer? Now you're mad at the guy and half swearing at him. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Does your focus get fuzzy when you see God answering prayers for others in a greater way than yourself? Do you get mad at God because of His goodness to others? God reaches out to a miracle in the one lady with cancer and the other lady has to go through a very difficult experience. 
probably death. But what's that to you? Follow me. Does your eye, does your focus get foggy when you see the goodness of God in others' lives who have less conviction than your own? Because God is good and compassionate to them. And I understand, we can read this and say, no, you can't run a business like that. I'm telling you, probably every business owner in here would do the same thing. If you have a very willing worker who's been working for you for one year and he comes to you and he says, I cannot make my house payment. I'm going to be homeless next month because of all that I've had some financial difficulties, so to speak. I'm out of a house. But, you know, that's part of life. If you have the goods within you to do it, I bet every business owner in here would say, you know, you're a willing worker. Um, it's not because you have to. It's, it's completely based on mercy and compassion. You'd say, I'll help you cover that payment. Because he says, hey, I, I'm going to get on my feet. The, the bills are over with now, but next month's a big one. I, I believe every business owner in here would say, I'll help you get on your feet one month. You know, if he's not a willing worker, and if he's a waster, you're not going to... These people weren't playing games. They were standing there waiting to be hired. If he's a waster, you're not going to say, I'll stick my neck out for you. But if he's someone who is there willing, a willing helper of yours, now, can you imagine, you paid his bill, $500, you paid his mortgage for the month so he's not homeless. <coughs> and now your worker of 12 years hears about it. Now what do you got? Do you have a worker who says, you're going to pay all our mortgage? This isn't fair. I worked for you 12 years. You don't pay my mortgage one time. It is so easy... They get foggy eyes when we see someone being good to someone else and it's not me. Now, the word for that is selfishness. I don't know of a person in here that it wouldn't affect. Me, first of all. God, if you're going to be good to somebody, pick me. Uh, If you're passing out things to... Show the character of Christ in difficult circumstances? Pick them. They could take a couple hard hits. Jesus is telling this story. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. There will be people who would be first. Like the disciples. They left houses, families, wives, children. They left everything. And Jesus is telling this parable, saying, are are you all right? If I bless blind Bartimaeus, who's never followed me yet, 
and I heal him like that? Are you all right with that? And then, Peter, you're going to die that death later on. And Paul, you're going to ask three times, can you remove this thorn in the flesh? And I'm not going to bite. I'm going to show the grace of God in your life without healing. Are you all right with that? See, Peter's question was, what shall we receive therefore? Can we write a book about the good life? And Jesus' response is, because you've left everything, are you expecting first healing? Are you alright if I show mercy and compassion to the fellow who's absolutely rejected me up to this point and I reach down in mercy and compassion on him and you get to witness it? Why am I sick? Why am I facing these difficulties? Lord, I've left houses, I've left lands. Why are they blessed? And they've done so little in God's kingdom. They don't even follow biblical principles. They don't even... And there's no lack. Is your eye evil? Because God is good. Cynicism, I I really believe, comes when we compare our journeys with one another and saying why rather than understanding the words follow me. But why is more expected out of me than the person who is seemingly getting away with minimal work? Lord, why? Jesus Christ as our commander commander has given us an example of absolutely unselfishness. Absolutely giving himself. And and I want to, with renewed zeal, grab a hold of that command, follow me. But what about him? What's that to you? Follow me. The setting was the Crimean War in 1854. Florence Nightingale, you've heard of her, I'm sure, And she's made that war famous because of all the assistance she's given to soldiers in that war, in the Crimean War. Britain had a group of men that rode on horses. They were called the Light Brigade. The Light Brigade was was an interesting concept that Britain came up with. They wanted five, six hundred men to ride on horses and ride light. Absolutely no protection on the horse. No hindrance on the horse whatsoever. And no shields and no heavy armor on the men on top. They carried one thing. They carried a sword. And they they rode like lightning into an area and they were hoping that somehow the light brigade would just overcome people. Lord Cardigan received word from the Earl of Lucan that they were to charge the Russian cannons in the valley. The light brigade was to. Now the Russian cannons were reinforced on both flanks and Lord Cardigan backed it up a little bit to the Earl of Earl of Lucan and said, if I send that group down there, they're all going to die. 
he was ignored. And he came away and he said, we have no choice but to obey. He told, as he let the, what's the fellow's name, Lord No, who was in charge of this ranks, they charged down that valley. And there was every cannon and every muzzleloader aimed right at their little group of 600 men. There, there wasn't one man in that ranks who thought, we're going to go down in this valley and we're going to clean house. Everyone in that rank knew this is not good. As they charged toward enemy cannons, muzzleloaders that were well prepared for their approach as well as the cannons aimed their direction and waited. Alfred Tennyson described their bravery in a poem entitled The Light Brigade. And in his poem he states this, Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. The whole concept of Christianity, follow me, was exemplified. Their Lord said, charge. Uh, Lord, could I be a gunner maybe? Or could I stand up here with bottles of water and band-aids and come help later? Charge. 600 men raced into that cannon into that crevice in the ground charging those guns many, many, many gave their lives but theirs not to make reply theirs not to reason why theirs but do and die I wonder what it would take for Americans to stop feeling sorry for themselves stop comparing my journey with someone else's journey Stop having pity parties and hear the voice of our commander say, Charge. Follow me. But I wish my experience was a good one. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is about servanthood. It's a kingdom. It's, it's, it's not a democracy. A democracy is, you know, my voice must be heard. God, did you hear me? I don't want to put up with this. It, we, rule by the people. That's our motto in America. And that's our motto in Christianity. But in Christianity, we have a king. And we have, we're part of a kingdom. And, and when our king says, is it alright with you if, if I bless one? And, and let you experience the grace of God in the midst of your sickness? Because that's what will happen. It's about how do we glorify God the most? Is I, I really believe it's by a willingness, a willing servant. It's not about the calling. It's about the willingness of the servant. Um, if someone's job in a kingdom was to butcher chickens... And someone's job in the kingdom was to play harp. Who's more important? That has nothing to do with it. 
Who's the better servant is the one who is willingly, actively doing their job. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and said, Wow. Wow. Even your servants are happy people. They're willing workers, was her testimony. And when people see a willing servant, they're saying, they're seeing a servant who is following their master. It doesn't matter what they have to work with. This is trivial. Their experiences are trivial. The joy is, see my king? But we got problems if the chicken butcherer starts looking at the heart player and say, he never had to work in the heat of the day. The lazy guy just goes like this all day long. Or actually for an hour or two. That's not fair. And as soon as he thinks that, would you hire him? That's what Jesus, I truly believe, is trying to tell us in Matthew 20. Is it alright if people have an easier job than you do? As soon as I become unwilling in my heart and saying, but look at them, this isn't fair. I'm not worth being hired. I'm about halfway done with my sermon. But that's where I stop. We'll skip point two. This challenged me as I studied this. When life isn't fair. What would you write in your book entitled, A Good Life? Would you base it on your good job, in your good home, in your good house, in your good... Or would you have to say, you know, boil it all down. All of experiences down. Rough, easy... Boil it all down. And a good life is really the times when I kept my eyes focused and followed Him. Then it didn't matter. The whole world's blowing up around you. And yet it's exciting to see what God can do. And the peace He can give in difficult times and the joy He can give when everything's going wrong. It's amazing what a good life it is when we keep our eyes on Him. And the easiest way to get them off is to say, Lord, this is rough. It isn't fair. What about that? If you're able to today, would you kneel for prayer?